I am a huge proponent of peers in your industry to lean on for conversations. So when I first became CEO, um, I was attending a conference and I sat next to a longtime founder of a firm, um, male, of course, he was in his 60s. And he and I had this long conversation. We're at a table of like 12 people. And he and I just sit here and have this, you know, hour, hour and a half conversation um, about the business. And he said, you've got to meet my female leader. And she's president of his firm. I said, I would love to. And that was the only other person I knew other than one woman here local who we were just too competitive to be peers um, in a in an advisory way. And so when I... Um, talked to this woman in Atlanta, we created a, she wanted, I wanted to create a peer group. So I called her uh, just that we could bounce ideas off of, talk about things that worked that hadn't worked and just share ideas. And she said, let's make it all women. And I was like, who else are we going to invite? <laughs> and so we did some cold calling and she's like, okay, I know this person here. We ended up putting together a group of about 10 women across the country um, that had really high leadership roles in firms or were the leaders of firms. Hello, my name is Emily Jansen, and this is the Leadership is Female podcast. We interview women in the sports and entertainment businesses to teach you the tips and the mindset that will get you to the top faster. Marion Wright Edelman said, you can't be what you can't see. Let's bring visibility to women who are crushing it in their roles. Join us week after week, season after season, as we reach back to extend a hand to pull you forward. We will lead you forward because leadership is female. Welcome to the Leadership is Female podcast. Liz Crawford coming to us from Texas, and I am thrilled you're here today. Tell us who you are and what you do. Sure, sure. No, thank you for having me. I'm very excited. When I saw the name of your podcast, I was like, I have to meet this woman. <laughs> I love it. Um, I am the CEO of a wealth management firm here in Texas. We're about $6 billion in assets under advisement, um, a little over 300 clients. So we get in really deep with our clients, which I love. Um, we have a tagline of navigating wealth beyond investments because investments is the core of what we do. It's super important, but there is so much more to navigating wealth for families than investments. It's kind of the table stakes, but there's so much more that we can do for them as a firm and as an industry. So tell us how you got there. How did you become CEO of a financial institution where there's a lot of men at the top. So we want to hear about your climb and how you did it and um, created the space at the top. Well, the short answer is I said I would never be in this industry. So therefore I am here. Um, I have actually a degree from Boston University in psychology. So it is as far away from investments as you can get. But um I probably use my degree every single day, whether it's with employees or clients or um, just looking at how to assess situations. So it's a lot of fun to have. But um, 
when I got out of school, I was looking for a job. I was like working in the mall, nothing fancy. And my dad had an investment management firm and he had someone go on maternity leave. And he said, look, I need somebody for three months. And some of this stuff a monkey can do by throwing a dart. And some of it takes some thought. Do you want to come in and cover for her while you're looking for a job? And I thought, yes, that would be good. So I went in and four years later, um, I left. I had been a part of the marketing department running all the statistics on the manager strategies, reporting them to consultants. Consultants were just new in the industry. And so that was how you got your name out. Um, and from there, I went to Dallas and I worked at Smith Barney. And then I went to um, a big institutional money manager, second largest in the value space in the nation. Had a great teacher mentor there. Um, and then we, my husband and I had our first child and we thought, gosh, it's now or never. Do we stay in Dallas or do we go back to San Antonio? And there was only one firm that I wanted to work for if we came back to San Antonio. So I said, I'll throw my hat in there. And if they have something and it works out great, if not, we're committing here. And fortunate for me, um, I came to that firm. They interviewed me and they said, gosh, you could run this place one day. When are you starting? And um, it was a new experience, a private bank and trust, and it was great learning opportunity. And from there, um, they were going to do a merger, and I was just drifting from leadership and their views. I had kind of built an entire business that was a little bit of a stepchild to them. Um, and so another firm here in town was looking for succession planning. They needed new partners to come in. And there were three of us that they looked at. Two of us came over and my business was a perfect fit for them. So I felt like it was coming home. All of a sudden I would have a whole firm of resources around my clients instead of just me staying at the office till midnight on quarter ends, trying to make things happen. Um, and so it was really great. And that was in 2012 and in 2000, um, end of 16 or 17, um, we made a reorganization here where we continued our succession plan and I became CEO. And we haven't looked back since then. It's been a ton of fun. Well, it's interesting that you started with a degree in psychology and your original intro is like, oh, it has nothing to do with it, but then it also has everything to do with it. I mean, you're not studying the the tactics of the business, right. but the psychology of the business is such a huge part of what you do. And one of your big responsibilities is implementing the strategic vision for right. what is San Antonio's largest independent registered investment advisory firm. So how do you form a strategic vision and what strategies do you employ to keep the company focused on that vision to make sure you don't stray? Yeah, no, it's it's a really great question. I mean, when we all, you know, tackle um, how do we, you know, do our blocking and tackling every day, things that we need to do to keep the business moving and yet set that strategic vision. How do we how do we accomplish what we need to at the long term day to day? Um, I have a phenomenal management committee, which is made up of two gentlemen who have retired from the hedge fund industry. Um, I say phenomenal. They're they're brilliant. They're very thoughtful. And because they have retired, they have no ego in this. They're not trying to prove a name for themselves. They just want to use the wealth of knowledge they have accumulated over their 
you know, 40, 50 years in the business to benefit clients. And so I am fortunate enough to work with them every day. And we talk about what makes sense for the business, what makes sense for clients, how do we continue to evolve um, as a premier firm in our industry, not just in San Antonio, not in Texas, but how do we remain cutting edge, not bleeding edge, but cutting edge in how we're thinking about things for clients. And I always told people that they probably saved me two years on implementation, on trying to figure things out, because we can think ahead strategically and say, OK, if we go down this route, these three things are happening. However, if we go this route, we have to worry about these four things. You know, how are we how are we going to navigate this? What's best? And so it's a phenomenal group to work with. I appreciate it every day. And then once we decide where we're headed as a firm, I've got a great management team um, that helps me implement every day. And we think about the details. Okay, so now if we're going to implement strategy Y, how does that affect client portfolios? What do we need to be thoughtful of as we um, implement this? How's it going to impact our people? Do we need to bring somebody new in? What's this look like? So it's, it's you know, it's like putting a puzzle together um, and you start at the edges and build it out and then fill in the details. And that's what we do as a team. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I love the architecture that you talked about there with starting with a advisory team and then rolling out to management. What, what advice do you have for people on creating that structure within their organizations if they don't have it? You know, going through reorgs or thinking about things differently is really challenging for people. So what advice do you have around that topic? It's a great question. One, people don't like change, so it can be so difficult, (laughs) but you have to know that change is coming. So can you embrace it? And how do you make it work for you? That's always the question that we ask is how do you make it work for you? Um, I'm a huge proponent of peers in your industry to lean on for conversations. So when I first became CEO, um, I was attending a conference and I sat next to a longtime founder of a firm, um, male, of course, he was in his 60s. And he and I had this long conversation. We're at a table of like 12 people. And he and I just sit here and have this, you know, hour, hour and a half conversation um, about the business. And he said, you've got to meet my female leader. And she's president of his firm. I said, I would love to. And that was the only other person I knew other than one woman here local who we were just too competitive to be peers um, in a in an advisory way. And so when I... Um, talked to this woman in Atlanta, we created a, she wanted, I wanted to create a peer group. So I called her uh, just that we could bounce ideas off of, talk about things that worked that hadn't worked and just share ideas. And she said, let's make it all women. And I was like, who else are we going to (laughs) invite? And so we did some cold calling and she's like, okay, I know this person here. We ended up putting together a group of about 10 women across the country Um, that had really high leadership roles in firms or were the leaders of firms. And it's been phenomenal. Um, It's one of the best things that that I have done since being CEO. It's just so much fun to be able to get together. And we visit each other. Um, We were doing it twice a year. It's kind of cooled off a little bit, but um, we would go to each other's firms. Some people have been through buyouts, some through mergers, Um, So they've gone on, others are acquiring, others are just running business organically, but we talk about partners, we talk about comp, employees, how do you face this situation, how do you deal with that, and I mean, it's 
free because we're not paying for it, but we're giving back just as much as we're getting out. So, you know, the, the value is there for us all. Um, and it's just phenomenal and great friendships on top of it all. Yeah. That, that peer group that you created, there was no excuses. You only knew one other person that you were coincidentally introduced to, and then you cold called people to set up this group that's lasted all these years. I think that is phenomenal. And also what a great piece of leadership advice for our listeners today to think like, Oh, you know, I don't know anybody go find them. Oh, you know, I think one of the biggest differences from when I started out in the business to today is when I started out, there were so few women in finance that we were competition for one another. And so women did not help each other. They're like, you stay over there. I'll stay over here and all will be good. Um, But if you get too close, I'll sabotage what you're doing. I mean, it was really awful. But I understand why you worked so hard to get to that point to be acknowledged. And there was only room for one. And that has changed so much that when we talk as a firm, um, we say, you know, first of all, man or woman, you need to be teaching someone how to take your job because you can't move forward unless there's someone there to assume your responsibilities. And they need to do it really well. So teach them well, because you're going to be asking them to do these things and you want it to be at the quality that you were doing it. Um, so I always tell people you you can't reach for the next rung of the ladder unless you're pulling somebody else up to take your spot. And it's something that we've really lived by here. And just coincidentally, our firm um, out of our management team. So there's five of us now. Only one is a man and the rest are women. And it wasn't hired for that way. Um, It's just the best person for the job came through and it's been a woman in several instances um, and others have organically grown. So I have female advisors. I have female portfolio managers, um, female accounting. The only place I don't have a female is on the actual research team right now. And I have in the past, but don't have one right now. So I love that we're as diverse as we are and that it's just organic. Who's the best person and how do you get in here? Yeah. Well, we always say on the podcast, you can't be what you can't see. So setting that example and having that representation is so important, especially when I give this big generalization here that women struggle with money. Why do women struggle with money or the idea of money? And where do you think that resistance to understanding money comes from? Uh, It's a great question. Um, My personal answer would be, um, so what, I'm about to turn 52. When I was growing up, you know, my dad would talk about money, but in very general terms, okay, balance a checkbook, here's how you do this. Um, Outside of that, like business conversations happened with men. So how much of that has changed now? I'd say a fair amount, but I can also tell you as the advisor talking to families with sons and daughters, it hasn't happened enough. And so um, I'm going to make a roundabout. When we reorganized the firm in 2017, um, we added some business lines. So we've always been an investment firm and we've had a family office since almost our beginning. And we never talked about family office. So 
we launched that and started to market it. Um, we we created a philanthropy group to help families think about philanthropy with private foundations. I'll get into that later. The two parts that I think are so important to what we do is we have a platform for women. And it is as genuine and as authentic as you can get because we are such a heavily led firm by women. And so when we talk about bringing women into the conversation we're leading by example. We mean it. We we ask families, okay, great, where are your kids? Sons, daughters, where are they? Bring them to the table because you can't prepare someone for money if they don't ever have any exposure to it. And we even take that down to kids. So legacy is another program we have that I think is vitally important because nothing can blow up a family faster than money and emotions. I mean, you don't have to have a lot of money to blow up a family over money. And we get very emotional about those conversations. So if we can learn to have thoughtful conversations that aren't emotional, but are truly um, educational in nature, looking for information, trying to learn, then we can take the intensity out of those conversations. We can take the tension out of those conversations and we can have better conversations as a family, but it takes training and nobody does that. So is it a wonder that it's really hard to talk about money as a family? No, that we're trying to change that. And we're trying to educate women and men um, young. We're, we're starting a boot camp this summer so that kids out of high school and early college can have conversations about money, understanding um, the whole banking relationship, credit cards, debt, all of that, so that hopefully when they get their first job, they're in their best financial um, frame of mind to make the most out of it. It's such important work, and I'm so happy there's somebody out there putting boots on the ground to do it. I, when we first spoke, you and I, I was, it was like, you were telling me about all this stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is bringing up so much for me from when my husband and I take somebody out to dinner they always thank him for paying. Right. And I'm like, that, what is happening here? Like, this is my money too. And sometimes I even put the credit card out to make the payment and they still thank him. So we're like, we're fighting these norms all yes. along the way, bringing your kids to the table, how important that is to create um, a financial knowledge base for them. When I started out with my first job, you know, what I knew about money was fear. There was a scarcity mindset that there was never enough. So what do I do now that I'm starting to make my own? And you know, it, the only thing I knew was saving, right? Like save your way, save your way to your grave essentially. Right. So there's, there's just all of these messages that we get as we're growing up around, around money. And it's no surprise that, you know, people have issues with it. And I think especially women when we're excluded so much from the conversation, there's, you know, I've, I've, led businesses, but I still, you know, people still look at the man in the room oftentimes and, and not me, um, because I'm, I'm a woman, uh, around these topics. So like, as much as I want to say, um, you know, we've come so far, like there's still a long way to go. So 
if, if people aren't clients of yours, like what advice do you have for them on elevating this conversation in their households, with their kids, at their businesses, yes. uh, making sure that you're leading your staff forward, um, what, you know, that you're telling them like, Hey, our company sponsors a 401k and we have a match. Like I used to bring it up quarterly in my one-on-ones and ask my staff, like, have you enrolled? And it's right. none of my business, like how much you're investing or what you're doing, but I'm just looking out for you as a person, like, have you enrolled and are, you know, do your best to skip, you know, maybe if you have to skip the Starbucks drinks, like you're already spending right. like a couple hundred dollars a month on Starbucks, like max out the match, you know? So yes. Having these conversations, what, what tips do you have around that? There is so much information out there. It's almost overwhelming um, as to the breadth and depth of information that you can get, but start somewhere. And like you said, at your own company, it's really important to make sure you're maximizing every benefit you get. Is there anything you're leaving on the table? Go sit down and talk to HR, ask them. Um, You'd be surprised at what you will learn. Um, we we felt that it was so important to bring this to people that we've you know created these education programs around it and it's it's really fun so we get someone and um often someone will sponsor a group and so they invite their friends and we get probably 8 to 10 women around a table and we go through this just personal finance and again it's not rocket science you can find a lot of this online but as women, we like to talk and talk about our problems, um, talk through scenarios. We learn from each other. We're just wired that way. And so if you can create these groups where you can um, find some sort of education modules that you want to go through, and there are a ton of free resources, you'll learn from each other. But just starting the conversation is the really critical piece. Um, it will lead to other conversations. And, you know, somebody may want to want to lead this and create a, a regular group and it will bear fruit, more fruit than you can imagine. So I tell everybody, um, just get involved. If you have a financial advisor for your family and you're not going to those meetings, go. I tell you, go. It is your money as well. And you need to go. You need to be seen. You need to be represented. You need to ask questions. I always say a husband and wife actually make a great pair. They make a great team because you think about things differently, but together you're a very strong um, team. You're a great resource. You're a great complement to one another. And you have to ask the questions that are not technical um, to help drive your financial plan, your financial future. Um, They're not all about, you know, filling in a a formula. It's what's this going to do for my family? How is this going to help me? How should I think about this? They're they're great conversations. You won't be sorry. And if you are, you have the wrong advisor. Yeah. Well, one of the programs you have is called Women in Wealth. Can you give us um, just kind of a spotlight on one of the topics that women have had the most interest in in that program? So that program um, has has kind of unfolded to be a four or five module program where we go through just personal finance. We meet every other week for about two hours. Um, It's often, you know, at somebody's house, bring wine and we bring hors d'oeuvres in the content and we sit down and have these conversations. 
what I tell people is that part of it is demystifying finance. Um, I don't care if you work in a professional corporation or you are a stay-at-home mom that runs a home. You have the lingo and you understand the concepts. Our industry puts jargon around things to make it mysterious. But if I break it down to you in household terms, you're going to be like, I get it. If I break it down to you in corporate terms, you're going to say, I get it. And so it's kind of demystifying our industry and explaining it to you so that you're not intimidated to show up to your financial advisor meeting. You're not opting out because you're afraid you're not going to be respected or listened to. Um, If you're not respected or listened to, you need to opt them out. You need to find somebody who does hear you. But these are really just about uncovering rules of thumb, um, how, how money works, money compounds over time. What does that mean? Well, it means if you start with $100 and you earn 10%, the next time you have $110. And so that base builds over time. And when women truly understand that, when we're going through these modules, the first thing they say is they slam the table and say, how do I teach my kid? You know, and so really we want to pass great tools on to those that we love. And that's what we try and do in this. So we bring them in younger and younger. Well, I want to talk about inheritance. So whether you are um, in the mid mid years of your life and uh, our parents were some of the first investors, I think, like things became a, a lot um, more available to the, our parents that are now maybe in their 70s or 80s. And, you know, you may be a benefactor of an inheritance at some point. So I want to talk about I want to talk about that, but I also want to talk about inheritance for our kids because now we have been um, living and working in workplaces um, that have offered investments since our early 20s, most of us, um, or most listeners of this podcast, I would say. So at some point in time, we are going to have a hefty retirement that hopefully we get to use to its fullest and live a great life and probably leave behind an inheritance for our kids too. So I want to I want to talk about that and and what you share with families on this topic that can help um, you know people like me prepare for tomorrow and then me prepare my children for that one day. Yeah, so you bring up a really great point for for our clients. Um, our typical client is probably a ten to twelve million dollar client, um, and so there's substantial wealth here. They. They employ, they pay for a ton of high quality estate planning practices. Um, They've got a plan that is really tight, creates trust for the kids. There's ages when they can have, you know, assets, um, probably goes out at, at a couple different periods where they get money. Wonderful. You haven't told them anything about your intention for that money, why you did that, what you hope for with them. So this is where our whole legacy program comes in. We spend all that time and money getting the technical side of transitioning assets over, but we don't touch the emotional side. This goes back to not being able to talk about money, not knowing how. Nobody told me. I don't know how to do it. Um, And so we spend time saying, okay, Every every avenue into this firm, we spend time talking about um, what's what's your money story is what I call it. You brought it up earlier. Um, if I bring up money and ask you your first memory, what is it? 
it can be very different things for people. So understanding that um, initial reaction to money will help you understand where people are coming from and their thoughts on money. Then you get into deeper conversations. And if you have a negative impact with money initially, this is triggering, it's stressful. And so that automatically creates, you know, fight or flight or reactions in your body. And so many conversations can be really difficult. If you grew up where everything was given to you, that's a whole nother trigger. Well, why can't I have this? Why can't we do this? That's a whole nother set of conversations that trigger things. And then try this on. You have one who has a um, fear of money and one who's like money solves everything and put them together in a marriage. I mean, what a disaster. So mm-hmm. we we teach people that you you have one view of money, your spouse may have another. How do you come together? And what happens to your kids that you are raising now but have not yet met their spouses? How are they going to communicate about money? So this program is all about bringing tools to people. And we do it in a in a little retreat session. There are half days, but I mean, it's it's probably some of the most rewarding work we do at a firm because what our goal is, is to keep your family together and not let, not let money pull it apart. I just think that's one of the best things we can do in this industry. Yeah. I love that you brought this up. What's your money story? And um, I was thinking about my own, my first um, experience with money and it was receiving just a few dollars in a birthday card when I was a kid. And I was the child that had a a wallet in my sock drawer and I put the money in there. And several years later, I had more than a hundred dollars and my brother had none because he went out and sent it right away, you know? And then like, we all have these different ideas of, of how to earn it. Me, I earned it by saving. And that was my, my first like experience with money and then how that grows over time. And I'll share, um, I've never shared this story, I don't think out loud before, but it was early in my marriage. We'd probably been married for like a year, my husband and I. And um, this at this point in our life, we were scraping it together. Like this was the early years, you know, and I had had this job where I'd had a uh, 401k and I'd left the job. And um, he was like, you need to combine all of your investment accounts, like under your, you know, this umbrella or whatever. And he's like, where's your first 401k? And I'm like, I don't know. And I lost it. I like, I thought that I'd lost thousands of dollars. Like I'm super emotional. I'm beating myself up, but, and then we had this like longer conversation. He was, he was very, um, helpful because he, he said to me, like, where is this all coming from? Like, I don't understand like why we're fighting. We can figure this out. And I realized I was like, Whoa, I have this like really negative reaction to money and finances because I come from the world of like, I don't have an abundant mindset. I grew up and never had enough. Like my grandma had plastic Ziploc bags in her purse and would put the food in there, like from our kitchen table. I'm like, we can wrap it up for you to send it home. You know, like these things that you learn over time that I had absorbed that became part of my story. You know, I really had to work hard to unlearn, get educated, get curious, have so much patience with myself. Like you can learn these things. You can understand these things, like leave yourself open. And it took 
years, Liz. And I'm, I'm at like, oh God, like I'm on a different planet than like where I started. But um, all that to say, like you can experience growth in this area of your life. Yes. You can get curious about it. Today, there's so much more information available that is more palatable. To, you can start like on first base. You don't have to start at in like a master's program to right. like learn, right. learn this kind of thing. We, we, you've hit on so many points that we talk about in our, in our women's program. One is shame. I mean, we as women are so good at just crucifying ourselves for the smallest mistakes. And then we're shameful about it. We punish ourselves. We think I, you know, I'm no good at this. And, you know, I think there's a, a, an HR joke that if there's a job description with 10 items on it, a woman's does not think she's qualified because she stops at seven. Whereas a guy's like, I got three, I'm overqualified. And that's kind of the way this is. Um, so we have to give ourselves permission. I love your word, curious, that you were curious and you just explored. Yes. If you are listening to this podcast, I know you are a busy professional. We can agree we are always looking for products that are convenient and make life easier. Mobot water bottles are one of these products. It's a water bottle and a foam roller in one. I use the water bottle at the gym, staying hydrated in boot camp and then flipping the bottle on its side at the end of class to quickly foam roll my legs. It helps with recovery and gets me back to work faster. Get yours at mobot.com and use the code leadershipisfemale, all one word, to get 15% off. Support Lonnie Cooper, the female founder of this product, and support yourself. This is a must-have wellness water bottle. I don't know about you, but I love learning more about myself. If there's a quiz out there to help me better understand who I am, I'll take it. If there's a journal prompt, I'm using it. But how about a business that helps female leaders communicate effectively while inspiring confidence and trust in those you want to impact? Sign me up. Breakthrough Brands is unlocking clarity for women leading progress. They build leadership brands for women to discover what inspires them, define what drives them, and unlock how to share their brands with others. Do you want to gain clarity on your personal brand? Shoot me a note at leadershipisfemale at gmail.com or on Instagram, and we will introduce you to the women who will help you unlock your leadership brand. That's breakthroughbrands.com. At Leadership is Female, we are serious about supporting you in your career. That includes the tips to get you ahead inside your current organization or provide you with the next big opportunity in a new role. That's why we have partnered with Legacy Search, an executive recruiting firm specializing in mid to senior level executive searches across professional, collegiate, and minor league sports. Check out the openings listed at LegacySportsSearch.com or in our monthly Leadership is Female newsletter. Hint, if you have not signed up for the newsletter, head to leadershipisfemale.com. If you find a job listed at Legacy Sports Search that looks like it should be yours, email us at leadershipisfemale at gmail.com and we will introduce you directly to the opportunity. This is your career. Make the most of it. There is no other place than money where we expect people to achieve perfection without failing. I mean, that's not realistic. That's not life. That's never going to happen. So it's okay to fail. It's okay to go try something and not have it work out. We we have this little slogan in our women's group that we talk about discomfort equals growth. 
you got to get out of your comfort zone to grow, to learn something new. And, you know, you, I'm a big trier. I like to try things. I know that probably, you know, three maybe out of 10 things I try are going to have any sort of legs to them whatsoever, but it doesn't stop me from thinking about it, from kind of thinking forward. If I do this, what happens? If I do this, what happens? So I have four kids. My oldest son is that saver. I mean, I can give him money and he'll have more money somehow from the money I gave him. He just finds a way. Um, he got some money for graduation and um, it was in 2020 that he had it. Stock market was dropping, you know, 35%. People are in a panic. And he's like, mom, what do I buy? And I was like, yes, that's exactly the right attitude. And so that's how he started his portfolio. I have three other children who are like, money? Okay, how am I going to spend it? What am I going to spend it on? And I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> you two are going to be my lifelong projects and you're all going to end up working for your brother. <laughs> that is so it, funny. It, it takes all kinds. It does. It does. It does take all kinds. And we, we talk about saving, we talk about scarcity mindset, we talk about education. Um, but I also want to talk about the joy of giving. And that's something that you have um, really implemented inside your business. Um, what do yes. you tell people about the joy of giving? So, you know, again, our, our client base is pretty wealthy um, for, for each individual. And we probably have, um, I don't know, a dozen, um, dozen and a half private foundations. And what we found over time is what started out as something very important to a matriarch or a patriarch or a couple of, of giving back to the community um, was something they did with passion and purpose while they had a business, while they had somebody to run this inside the business, but then they liquidate the business or they um, pass it down to the next generation and life gets busy. The business gets going. If it's at the next generation, you have different priorities and all of a sudden the philanthropy kind of gets pushed to the back or it, the heat's down. And so what, what happened to be very proactive and enjoyable all of a sudden comes reactive and, oh, I know I need to do something about this, but I don't have time. And so we created a group that focuses on administering all the back end things of this. And what we say is we're going to give joy. We're going to put the joy back in giving. So when these families come in now, instead of thinking all the things they didn't do, all the things they need to do, they come and they sit down at a table and they see all the organizations who would like to ask for dollars for the programs that they want to ask for. And their eyes just light up because this is why they did this, to better their communities, to help um, solve problems within the community, to help give light to areas that need it. Um, you know, we're we're in Texas and there's it's a huge state. There's all kinds of things to solve for. We're warm weather. We have a lot of homeless. We're next to the border. We have people coming in. There are so many things that can be done. Um, in 2020, it was the most amazing thing to watch these private foundations come together and say, okay, scrap all of this. Where are the highest needs in the community and how do we fund it? Our food bank, it was phenomenal at what they did with things and how many organizations came to support. Wi-Fi for kids that were at home. Um, how do they make that happen? They gave money to Girl Scouts who powered their parking lots so that people can come to the parking lot, park with their families and do homework there. It's amazing to see what happens. And 
I think it'll be one of our best legacies that we leave is giving the joy back to families in their giving. They're so creative, they're so thoughtful, and they're so passionate about different areas that just what unfolds is really cool. Well, you need that North Star. Why do you do what you do? Why is it worth achieving these goals and identifying what that is for you and your family? And imagine teaching your kids about that and about that legacy and the impact it can have. And it was either in our conversation, our first conversation, or or slightly thereafter, um, I, I saw this study and it had said that the um, the highest like tri- attribute that your child needs in order to be successful is one of gratitude. If you can teach your kids gratitude, then they will be okay. So um, our, our client base is wealthy. The number one question I get from women is, how do I keep my kids from being entitled? And the answer is gratitude. Mm -hmm. So if you can incorporate a practice of gratitude and, you know, it starts with please and thank you, but it just goes from there as your kids age. um, How do you keep that gratitude in your family? And funny enough, one of the easiest ways to do it is through stories, As a civilization, we are wired to hear stories and to learn from them. So one of the practices we do is we help people. um, We have what are called conversation cards, and they just have a topic on it. And ours are set really to help share stories about what's important to you. It gets back to the intention, the purpose. You know, what are you trying to do with this money? Well, it's really not about the money. It's about helping you be fulfilled as a person. And so these cards are kind of aimed at getting conversations to steer that way. And when when a person tells a story about someone dear to them and a sacrifice they made that you get to enjoy, the emotions that pass on your face, the tears that come to your eyes when you're talking about the trying parts, you you can't you can't convey that in an email, a a text, you can't convey that um, imprint. It's something that is just emotional. And we're wired to pick up all those little triggers along the way. And it sticks with us and it reaches our hearts. And that's what you're trying to do when you're trying to make connections. You're trying to reach hearts. You're trying to reach past the mental and get into the emotional so it's funny, I spend half my time talking about how to be non-emotional about money. And then the other part is it's not about the money you want to be emotional about. It's about the connections you want to be emotional about. And so um, stories are a phenomenal way to pass on what was important to your family, what's important to you, what you hope for your kids. You 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 have kids. If you had to talk to your kids about what you hoped for them, because you may not be here tomorrow you will get emotional, you will tear up and you will convey to them the things that are most important to you. Mm-hmm. And they will remember that. Yeah, it's, absolutely. Yeah. It's um, wonderful tips and just, it's a different way to think about money and a relationship with it. When you're thinking legacy story, giving back, um, you're thinking on the other side, opportunity, What can you do with your money that can grow your money to provide then financing for the why, whether that's memories with your kids and vacations or an opportunity to fund um, something in your community that's going to make a greater impact. You know, all of these things are are connected. um, They are. are. 
Yeah. And, you know, for me, um, you know, earning money now, I get to take my kids on great vacations and that's really important to me. And I used to have a negative emotion about the amount of money we'd have to spend on a trip. It would make me sick. Like, Oh, it costs how much money? Oh, the plane tickets are that expensive. Oh, those chicken fingers are $25. You know, like the whole thing would, would eat me alive. I couldn't even enjoy the experience, but I worked really hard on shifting my mindset around money and those experiences and what that was providing my kids. And now you know, my office, I have all these framed photos of um, our family vacations that we've done in the last couple of years. And what that does is tell me, look at what my hard work produces. Look at what hard work does for us, this enjoyment, these memories that we have. And so there's a lot of mindset shifts that happen here. And I think the more you can open yourself up to um, what money can do for you, there's a greater opportunity and and to earn. Like, I think it, it, it opens up. Absolutely. You, you, you talked about two things. We call those investing in memories and for protection mindsets, people who can't save enough, who, you know, need that nest egg sitting over there, spending is one of the hardest things for them to do. And so how do you convey to them that this isn't wasting dollars this is really investing in memories. It's investing in something your kids or your grandkids will never forget. And that changes things. And the the other thing um, you brought up is just acknowledging that there's going to be a struggle within you at times and that's okay. Mm -hmm. I totally get the, oh my gosh, I worked so hard for that. You will never find me in Vegas. Ever. I do not find that enjoyable at all. I know how hard I worked to get that money. And there's no way I'm giving it to a slot machine or a poker table or whatever it is to just I have kids that can spend that money faster than the than the slot machine. So I get the internal struggle and just recognizing that we all have it um, at various points and it may be over different points, but we all struggle and it's okay. Like I said. Money is the only place we expect perfection, and that's just so unrealistic. So I have a I have a, a confession. I mean, here I am in finance. Um, I've got four kids. I've got all these education programs. You'd think I'd have it right at home, right? My oldest daughter is a junior in college. I have been asking her for two and a half years now for her Excel spreadsheet of her expenses <laughs> so that we can see if her allowance is right. I can't get her to deliver on it. I could if I pushed harder, probably. We talk about it every couple of months. Um, She says she'll get it to me. I'm like, okay, great. I mentally check that I'll get it from her. But I've got three other kids. I've got a business to run. I let it go. She lets it go. And here we are. You know, she's going to be out of college and we still won't have that allowance budget done to see if we're on the right track or not. So failure, check. Um, is it pure failure? No, because I'm making her think about it. We're actively talking about it. It's not a horrific situation because she didn't deliver. When she does launch, when she is getting out on her own, whatever the next step is, grad school or first job, she'll be more prepared to talk to me about how do I think about money? How do I allocate my dollars? Because I only have a finite and I can have infinite expenses. So how do I think about this? So it's, it's not where I would like it, but it's okay. It's still working down that path. We have to yeah. be okay. 
well, I'm happy you shared that because there is no, there is no perfect. And especially when it comes to people. So I just got to do your best, stay curious in that growth and plant those seeds. You know, your daughter's thinking about it. Uh, She just not ready for that. That's right. That's right. (laughs) And if I stopped her allowance, she would get ready quickly, but I don't have that in me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you are a mom. So, you know, we have our, we have our limits when it comes to our kids. Uh, Speaking of that, what is your life life and life like in Texas outside of your CEO duties uh, and also your four kids? Yeah, I've told people I don't have hobbies. I have kids. So <laughs> uh, my oldest daughter rode horses for a long time. So it was traveling around to horse shows. And um, oftentimes we were in Houston where I had family. So we would make the most of it. Um, but we were able to travel to some really fun places. Um, we've spent 30 years going back and forth to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which has just been a phenomenal place for my kids to see. My parents lived up there for many years. Um, and that chapter has closed. They sold their house. So, um, my third child is a senior in high school this year and he will launch. And then my husband and I will look at each other and say, wow, at that time we'll have a fourth grader. We still have a long way to go, but I will have more time on my hands. (laughs) Oh, that fourth grader is a lucky kid. All of the, you're going to be an only child pretty soon. Well, he's either lucky or just under the microscope. He's, yeah. he's, a, he's a really, really good, easy kid. Being the fourth and with such a big difference between the third and the fourth, he's pretty easy. You're, um, you're going to be thinking, wow, it's so easy to have one kid. Like when it, when that comes up after having a yeah, full house. Yeah, we've had months. glimpses of it and it's like, yeah. wow, this is super easy. What do we want to go do? Um, there'll be that. And, you know, we'll never be empty nesters. So we'll never know what that's like, because I'm sure by the time he goes off, my older kids will be, you know, around the, the grandchild age. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, I think one of the biggest blessings in the world is a big family. And you've certainly architect one that is going to just backfill, which is yeah. like, literally my dream. <laughs> so I love that. I love that. All right, this has been such a phenomenal interview. We've got so just an abundance of great information from you around finances and mindset. And, um, I hope this leaves our audience with, um, with a greater understanding or at least a curiosity on improving, um, their mindset, but I want to finish with the final four. What is your best piece of advice for women to apply today? so that they can level up tomorrow. It's don't be afraid, no matter what situation you're in. Don't be afraid. Ask for help. Find people who will help you. Um, You know, find that sponsor who will champion you, whether they're in your firm or in your family or wherever they are. Um, Those people make the difference and be that person to somebody else. Make a difference in somebody else's life. Where are you traveling to next? Where am I traveling to next? Um, I don't think we have any plans. We've been to Fort Worth to go to Parents Weekend at TCU. We've been to New Orleans for Parents Weekend at Tulane. And now we're sitting tight waiting for Thanksgiving where everybody will come here. I love it. What is your pump up song? You know, I don't I don't really have a pump up song. Um, I just think about, you know, some great quotes and some great people. And I know that 
there's nothing that I can't overcome with hard work and determination. It may not turn out the way that I planned and that's okay because I'm going to learn something from it along the way. So it's just that get out of bed and do it right every day. Speaking of quotes, which one is your favorite? Uh, So we have a wall here at the office. Um, One of our founding partners was 60 years old when he founded our firm. He's 85 today. And we have this wall of Fredisms. Um, The entire firm brings it up. So I've got people who are brand new here to, you know, Fred at 85. And we, we call them Fredisms and we use them all the time in the the biggest one in the wall is pretty much what I just said. He says, do it right every day, even if it hurts. There are those decisions in life that you know are the right thing to do. They're not pleasant to do, but they're the right thing to do. And that's kind of our North Star. I love that. Okay. Where can we follow along with your journey and get more from you if we're uh, not a client? No, we we are at sendero.com and uh, it's funny since we first started talking the the bug has just gotten in me that I need to put more and more out there on our women's program because I think it is it's got such potential just to reach women to help them get comfortable with this conversation and um you know like I said you don't have to have a lot of money to to take information away and apply it to your life and make it meaningful Um, So I'm working on an Instagram campaign and at some point I'll tackle the podcast, but, but we're going to, we're going to just start to be more visible. So look for us there. I love that. Well, thank you so much for being on this podcast and we can't wait to follow along and um, really improve our lives and our finances through advice like you've lent us today. Well, Emily, thank you for what you do, because I, I think you don't know what you don't see, like you said. So showing women leaders out there who are doing something to make a difference and for change just inspires people. And that to me is the greatest thing. I I have um, a team that has been historically two men and two women um, just organically. And what I tell leadership is they don't see a difference in each other. They're just peers. And that's so different than when I was growing up in the workforce. So I love it. I think it's fantastic. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Time is your most precious resource and it means the world that you spent it with us. Please help us reach more people who need to hear these interviews by hitting the subscribe button and the five-star rating on your iPhone. Do you know someone who could benefit from this interview? Please share it. Take a screenshot and post your Instagram stories, copy the link and share on LinkedIn, or text that link to your colleague. The Leadership is Female podcast exists to showcase female leadership in sports and entertainment and give you the tips to level up. We will extend a hand back to lead you forward. Extend the same hand by sharing this with someone who needs to hear it. One last thing, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at leadershipisfemale. Now, take this lesson and run. Let's go.